Well, if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles and get out something to take notes with, we're going to go to God's word together and hear from the Lord. You guys know our theme for this year as a church is all about encountering Jesus. And we want to focus this year in a fresh way on encountering the Lord, being fed by him, encouraged, strengthened by him. This is always a focus for us as a church, but we felt coming in this year specifically that this was what the Holy Spirit was highlighting for us as a church family, is that we would have a renewed focus on encountering him. The invitation of Jesus to us all, to every person on the planet, is for everyone who is hungry, everyone who is thirsty, is invited to come to him and to eat presence, to drink from the wine of his spirit, to feast and be satisfied. That is the eternal invitation of Jesus to you and to me, his invitation to us. And this year, we feel like, man, we just need to focus on that again, a renewed focus to that invitation. The Spirit is doing something and wants to do something fresh in our church family in this area of encountering the Lord. Our theme verse for the year is from John chapter 6, verse 35. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. I want to give you just a minute on your own to read it, to look at it. We're just going to be honed in on this verse all year long, because we, this is what the Lord is calling us to in a fresh way. So give me just a minute to read that verse, and then we're going to read it together. All right, let's read it together, if you guys would just join with me. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. John six thirty five. That's a great verse to memorize, a great verse to focus in on. We'll be focused on that verse all year long. And as we were praying and seeking the Lord about, okay, what does it look like to respond to this invitation? We are people who are hungry and thirsty. How do we respond? And we felt like the Lord highlighted three areas to pay attention to. Encountering Jesus in our homes, so wherever you live, whether that's a dorm, an apartment, a townhome, wherever you might find yourself, that that would be a place of encounter with the Lord, that the Lord wants to meet with you there. We want to focus on encountering Jesus in fresh ways in the church, that as we gather as the people of God here on Sundays or during the week in our life groups and discipleship groups on our serve teams, that these would be fresh places of encountering the Lord. So we would encounter Jesus in the home. We want to encounter him in the church in a fresh way. And the third place that we felt like the Lord was highlighting was encountering Jesus in the city. That as we go on mission with him in the places that we're called to in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, that this year would be a fresh year of encountering Jesus in our city as we're on mission with him. So we're going to focus in on encountering Jesus in the home, in the church, and in the city. As we're starting out on this journey, we're zooming in on what does it look like to encounter Jesus in the home. And we've been talking about being a people who enjoy a weekly Sabbath and enjoy a daily quiet time. And as we make space in those ways to respond to the Lord, that the Lord wants to meet with us in power there. And we've talked about what does it look like to enjoy a weekly Sabbath? And we're in a a series where we're talking about what do you do in that quiet time that that would be a place of encountering the Lord. And last week we saw a kind of first recommended ingredient for those times with God is Thanksgiving, taking time to practice gratitude. 
Your challenge for the week was to list out some things you're thankful for every day. I heard people talk to me about them just kind of pressing in afresh in the area of gratitude. And man, that is one of the ways that we can encounter Jesus. We're going to build on that today. Our focus for today as we look at what do you do in a quiet time? How do you enjoy a daily quiet time? We did gratitude last week. Today, we're going to focus in on scripture and scripture's place in our daily quiet times. Next week, Lord willing, we'll look at worship and then prayer, but we're going to zoom in on scripture today. We're going to zoom in on how do I get fed on scripture? Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter four, he said, it's written that man, humanity, you and I, that we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word breathed out of the mouth of God, that there is a part of who you and I are, that we are made to feed and be fed on God's word. That just like we're fed on natural food, you'll go to lunch today. I hope you enjoy some good food that we're made to be fed on spiritual food, on the word of God. But how do we do that? Again, Jesus is our model. He shows us a life that fed on scripture. This is so powerful to me, seeing the way that Jesus was just saturated in scripture. And we know that Jesus is fully divine. So in his divinity, when he speaks, it is the word of God. But in his humanity, in his earthly life and ministry, Jesus modeled for us what it was like to feed on scripture in such a way that it was deep, deep within him. Jesus in Luke chapter four is tempted by the devil. I think it's always interesting to see what comes out of you and me when we're tempted, when we're pressed, when we're pressured, what comes out. I don't know if you are always pleased. I know I'm not always pleased with what comes out with me when the pressure comes on. But Jesus, when the devil tempted him, when the pressure was on, what came out? Jesus quoted scripture. Scripture is what flowed out of him when he was pressed by the enemy. When he was tempted, it was scripture that flowed out from him. When Jesus taught what he taught, he taught drawing on scripture. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous sermon, and it is chock full of what you and I would call the Old Testament. Jesus drawing on that, explaining from that, teaching from that. Jesus taught drawing on the wells of scripture. When Jesus entered his public ministry, his kind of announcement speech that here I am and here's what I'm here to do, he taught, he proclaimed from scripture. It's what shaped not just his teaching, but his ministry. His life was scripture. It was guiding him. He lived a life guided by scripture. In the moments of pain and agony on the cross, Jesus turned to scripture to find strength there. In his time of pain, in his time of agony, as he's suffering, he is drawing on and speaking forth words of scripture. And then in Luke 24, which we looked at last week, Jesus raised from the dead, explains to his disciples his resurrection from scripture. He goes through the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, and he teaches how they all pointed to him. From first to last, Jesus' life was a life fed on, shaped by scripture, shaped by the word of God. 
And you and I, as people who have said, we want to be disciples of Jesus, we want to live like him, we want to follow him, that with him as our example, then we too are called to live lives shaped by, strengthened by, fed by scripture. Amen? Amen. We didn't seem sure on that one. I'm going to say it again. As people who are disciples of Jesus... Right In the way that he was shaped, led, fed, drawing on scripture, that we too are to live that kind of life. Amen? Amen. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 7, in fact, one of the things that he gave to his disciples is that he said in Matthew 7, 25, he said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, which we would call scripture, everyone who hears them and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So Jesus saying for his disciples, one of the defining characteristics of our lives, alongside gratitude that we saw last week, is that you and I are on a journey to hear his word and to build our lives on his words, on his teaching, that that is the place for you and I to build our lives. And I love reading in church history. I love reading the lives of spiritual mothers and fathers who have gone before us, who have lived lives in the footsteps of Jesus and have shown us what does this look like? I've been stirred by their examples. And one example that I've shared with you in the past that I want to reference again today is George Mueller. I've shared with you in the past about his powerful prayer ministry and his care for orphans. If you haven't been here for one of those times, George Mueller uh, in the 1800s saw an incredible need caused by the Industrial Revolution for orphans to be cared for. And he felt like God prompted him to do something about it. And so he began these orphan care houses in England. And by the end of his life, he had seen I believe the number was they had cared for 10,000 orphans and people have been so inspired by his life that that had led to other orphan care houses started that cared for 100,000 orphans out of his immediate life and influence. I love learning about him. His life is full of answered prayers. Life is full of good works that show forth and display the splendor of God, really caring for people. But in his autobiography, he points to a secret habit that he had that's been so inspirational to me that it's my joy to get to share it with you today. He talked about in the midst of caring for the orphans, of needing to believe God to provide all of this money, that he found a secret to spiritual strength. And it illustrates this life fed and nourished by scripture. He writes in his autobiography, he says, the point is this, I saw more clearly than ever after a specific incident, that the first great and primary business to which I was called to attend to every day was to have my soul happy in God. That Mueller said in the midst of all the orphans that needed care, all the orphans that needed provision, all the pressures of the things that he felt God had called him to, that his first and primary kind of start to the day was to get his own soul happy in the Lord. Wow, so how did he do that? What did he do? He noted that if he didn't have his own soul happy uh, in the Lord, uh, no matter how much he might serve the Lord, how much he might glorify the Lord, how much he might do for the Lord, that he might do it with a wrong spirit. 
right? That he might be going about the right things, but with a wrong heart. He knew he needed to get uh, happy on the inside, nourished on the inside. So he said, before this time, my practice had been for the previous 10 years that I would start in the morning, I would give myself to prayer. And I would make it an effort to pray before, after I got dressed in the morning before breakfast. But now I realized the most important thing that I had to do was to give myself to the reading of God's word and to meditation on it, that my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that while meditating, my heart might be brought into communion with the Lord. So therefore, I began to meditate on the New Testament from the beginning early each morning. And after I would read a few words, after I prayed a short prayer to ask the Lord's blessing, I would meditate on this word, searching, as it were, into every verse, seeking to get the blessing out of it, not for the sake of my public ministry, not for the sake of preaching to someone else what I had learned, but for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result of this is that my inner man is most invariably and sensibly nourished and strengthened, such that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful, if not happy, state of heart. It's as plain to me as anything that the first thing the child of God has to do morning by morning is to obtain food for his inner man. For just as the outward man is not fit for work for any length of time, except that we take in food, as this is one of the first things we do in the morning is eat breakfast, so should we with our inner man. We should take in food as everyone must allow time for. Now, what is the food for the inner man? It's not prayer, but it is the word of God. And here again, not the simple reading of the word of God so that it only passes through our mind, just as water runs through a pipe but considering what we read, pondering over it, applying it to our hearts. He said, I dwell on this point so particularly because of the immense spiritual profit and refreshment that I have consciously derived from it myself. I affectionately and solemnly beseech all my fellow believers to ponder this matter. By the blessing of God, I ascribe this mode, the help and strength from which I have had from God has allowed me to pass in peace through deeper trials in various ways than I ever had before. And now having done this for 40 years in this way, I can most fully in the fear of the Lord commend it to you. How different when the soul is refreshed and made happy early in the morning from what is when without spiritual preparation, I face the service, the trials and the temptations of the day to come. So you get what he's saying, right? He's saying everything that he has in front of him, his first and primary order of business is that he would get his own soul happy in the Lord. And it was through feeding on God's word, like Jesus modeled for us, that that is where he found the happiness, the peace, the joy that allowed him to face the pressures of the day that allowed him to go through the trials that he was facing, but to go through them with an inner peace, with an inner strength. And it was from feeding on the word of God. I don't know about you, but that gets me so excited. That gets me so inspired because I read this and I'm like, man, I need joy. I need peace. I need inner strength. And I bet you're here because you do as well. 
And what we see in the life of Jesus, what we see in heroes of the faith like George Mueller is that before us all is an invitation to feed on God's word and to feed on it in such a way that it builds us up in our inner man, in our inner person, that we would find the strength and the nourishment and the encouragement that you and I so desperately need. And I stand here today, I was so excited about this message because I'm like, man, if I thought through, if I had 10 messages to give to the church, what would those 10 be that have so deeply impacted my life? One of these for myself and for my wife has been just the power of going to God's word and being nourished and strengthened in it day by day, not to find wisdom or guidance or some decision out there, not to find practical help for ministry, not to find, oh, here's what I should say to this person or that person, but for the state of my own soul. So I'm so excited to get to share this with you today. I'm excited for us to learn and to grow. And I'm excited for us this year as we grow as a community in encountering Jesus, that we would grow in encountering Jesus in the word. So it's exciting. It's inspiring. But if you've ever sat down with scripture, it can be challenging to be like, okay, that's awesome. Now, how do I actually do that? And so what I want to do right now is I want to take you into my times with God. I want to take you in and I'm going to explain, here's what I do pretty much each and every day to draw strength and food and nourishment from God's word. I personally have so benefited from times when people have taken me aside and showed me these things, when they show me what it looks like for them. I don't always copy it 100%, but I feel like I learn of like, oh, that is what this looks like. So I want to bring you into my life. Here's what I do. It may not be perfect, but this has really been something the Lord has taught me. And I'm excited to share it with you. So I want to encourage you to take out your Bible, take out something to take notes with, and let's bring out a hungry heart this morning because the Lord is going to meet with us. So here's the question. How do I feed on scripture for myself? How do I feed on scripture? In the past, I have taught this for the last seven years with a three-letter acronym, DNA. I've upgraded my acronym for 2022. You got something fresh, I know, I know, thank you. Yes, something fresh. I think it's easier to remember. I 100% copied it from two places. I will say that from the beginning. I uh, love learning from the church. And so I learned from a church in San Francisco called Reality a church in England called King's Cross, this method of reading scripture where their acronym was bread. Now I was like, bread is a much better acronym than DNA. And I changed some of the letters of what bread stood for, but I love it because Matthew four, right? We don't live by mere bread alone, but we live by every word breathed out of the mouth of God. So the word of God is our bread, right? So how do we get into scripture? Bread, it's gonna be five letters, uh, and this outlines, this is what I've been doing personally for the last 20 years, more or less. And I love being able to pass this on to you, bread. So when we come to the word of God, I want you to think of it's your bread, right? And so B, what does B stand for? B stands for begin with prayer. This is so important. The Bible is a spiritual book. It contains history it contains poetry, it contains prophecy, it contains letters and teaching and historical accounts, but this is different than other books that you read. This book is spirit. There's a spiritual power 
to this book. And so we need to be prayerful about the book. We need to ask God, God, would you come and would you teach me? Would you come and would you show me wonderful things in your word? Would you open my eyes that I might see? So simple prayer, right, to start out is how we open God's word. The second reason why prayer is important is, yes, this is a spiritual book, but two is to remind us that we need humility before the Lord, that we are not coming to God as his instructors, and we're not coming to God's word as instructors of the word of God. We are coming in humility before the Lord to learn. We are coming as disciples, not as teachers. And there is a propensity in the human heart to assume that we know better, that we have it right, that we understand that God is automatically on our side. And the scripture tells us that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble, right? And so prayer is one of those posturing things where we remind ourselves, Lord, I need you to teach me. And Lord, I am humble before you. I don't assume that I know the right answers or I know everything. I'm coming here to be a listener, to be a student, to be one who's being fed and nourished. Amen. So we're just going to pray a simple prayer, right? It can be this simple. Lord, here I am. Would you come and would you teach me? I humble myself to you. Would you teach me from your word? I want to give you just a moment to pray something along those lines right where you are. So just close your eyes. You don't have to say it out loud, but we're going to begin with prayer as we go to God's word. I'll give you just a minute. Awesome. Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't have to be complex. It can be. You can go 30 minutes on that if you want to, but it can just be simple. Lord, I need you. Would you teach me? Would you open my eyes? Okay. R. What does R stand for? R stands for read like a student. So when we come to God's word, right, it involves us reading the word. So when you pick what you're reading, I like to read through books of the Bible. I typically try and have one book for a particular season that I'm going to be in every day. Every time I come to the word, other people are a little more popcorn style where it's like I just open up and I turn to a page and there I am. I'm not that guy. I need a plan. If you're one of those people where it's just like, man, I just know exactly where to go. More power to you. I'm just saying I need a plan. I need. OK, right now I'm in first Peter. Right now I'm in John in the season. Some people love reading plans. Some people love doing a verse. Whatever it is for you, I'm less concerned about that, and I'm more concerned about us coming to God's word as students, as those who are coming to learn from him. And so we read the word, and we read it as students. So the passage that I've been in this week that we're going to go through right now is from 1 Peter 1. We'll put it up on the screen. And after we pray our short prayer, we're going to read it. And it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's powerful. So when I say read like a student, I'm going to take time to read over this and pay attention to what God's word says. 
And again, so often when we come to the word, we can come with our own ideas, our own understanding, and we can think we know what it says without actually taking time to read the word slowly and carefully. And when we're digging in like a student, we want to take time to learn what is being said here. What was the author trying to say? What is the Lord trying to say through the scriptures? And one tool that's very helpful in reading like a student is some sort of Bible dictionary, some sort of tool that will help you understand what the various words mean, because obviously this is an English translation of original documents, languages that we don't speak. And so sometimes it helps to know, okay, what does it actually mean when it says here um, that we have a hope or we have an inheritance that will never perish? I wonder what that means, that will never spoil or never fade. So I love the Greek Hebrew study Bible. You can find these online now, but if you're like a paper person, you can open this up and it will tell you, like a dictionary, it will tell you what different words mean. So when I'm reading like a student, one of the things that I want to do is take time to dig in on the words and understand what they mean. So I'm going to share with you a few things uh, that I learned this week in my time with the Lord on this. Under imperishable, uh, I learned that the, the root word for that, the way that it's originally meant to be used is it means that it won't kind of go away, but it also means that an army, an attacking army could not get in could not take it over, could not steal it, right? And for Palestinians, as this was being written under Roman oppression, they were used to armies coming through every so often. They would just ransack everything. And here, what we're seeing is that the inheritance that we've been given in Christ, right, is not something that can be stolen from us. Wow, right? That's one little thing that you learn from digging into what does it mean that it won't perish, that it will never spoil uh, this talks about pollution, that you could have something, some land, an inheritance that was to be given to you that could become polluted by things coming on it. But the inheritance that we have in Christ can't be polluted. When it says spoil, that's what it means. It's that pollution word or fade. The word that's used here is about flowers that fade as time goes on. But our inheritance in Christ doesn't fade. So I'm taking time as I'm reading like a student, I'm going through and I'm trying to learn like what is God's word saying? Now, as I start to read like a student, as I start to learn, I'm like, wow, I have an inheritance in Christ that will not perish, that no army can steal. That's amazing. I have an inheritance in Christ that can't become polluted. I have an inheritance in Christ that won't fade like the flowers or the grass, but I have the word of God. I have an inheritance in him. Now, I hope you're getting stirred up because I'm getting stirred up. So we're using a tool like a Bible dictionary. When I said read like a student, or I like to use these as well, commentaries. When you read a commentary, you can find many of these on Amazon for under $10. You can find others online. But when you read a commentary, you get the opportunity to read someone who has spent a lifetime studying the language, the culture, the theology, the doctrine, all those things who will distill that into pages for you where you can glean from 40 years of study, 50 years of study, hundreds of years of church history. This is awesome. I'm gonna convince you of this by the time we're done. Y'all look a little unconvinced, but I'm gonna convince you when you go to this. Let me just tell you what I learned as I read this and it fed my spirit this week. 
when he talks about that God has caused us to be born again, the note in my commentary says this, it's going to take a long time to dig through the riches of this passage. For there are a few passages in the New Testament with more of the great fundamental Christian ideas come together. Wow, so I know that I've got a pregnant passage right here. When he's saying it's going to take a long time to dig through this, that's exciting to me because I know there's gold here. I know there's food here for my soul. And it says uh, when we're reborn, it says the theme of being reborn runs throughout the New Testament. And whatever else it means, it means that when we come to Christ, there is a life change so radical that the only thing can be said is that we've begun to live all over again, this time for him. When someone is reborn, they're reborn to a living hope, as it said here. Now contrast this. This is what the commentary said. Contrast this to the heathen world that was known for being without hope. Sophocles wrote that it'd be better not to be born at all. This is the best fortune. The second best fortune would be to die as soon as you were born, that life was that painful. To the heathen world, the world was a place where all things faded and decayed. It might be pleasant enough in itself, but it was leading out into nothing but endless dark. The ancient world, to the ancient world, the Christian characteristic was hope that we in Christ have not been born into something that fades or is destroyed, but we've been born into something that we can have great hope. Oh, I'm starting to get fired up. I'm starting to get fired up right there. It's the morning time. Things are a little slow. My brain's a little foggy, but I'm reading that. I'm like, oh man, I have been born again to a living hope. I can have hope today. The rebirth of the Christian is a rebirth to righteousness. I'm just getting this from the commentary. A rebirth to righteousness. That I've been cleansed from the power of sin. That I've been cleansed from the dominion of sin. That it doesn't mean that I'll never sin again, but each time I sin, I can count on that I've been given the power and the grace to rise again. I've been reborn to a rebirth of righteousness. When it says born again, it means I've been born again to a rebirth of love. That the dominant theme of my life is not being self-centered. That's not where the fullness of life is found. But there is something that has moved in my life to lead me to live a life of sacrificial love that mirrors the love that God has for me. Woo! All right. Buckling up our seatbelts. Sit down as we feast on God's word. So I'm taking notes on all those things. I'm getting stirred up. My mind is like, okay, I'm understanding what God is saying. If we can go back to the acronym. So it takes some time to do that. And then E, we want to encounter the Lord. Jesus gives a stunning indictment in the gospel. As he said, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have life. And yet they're the ones that testified to me, but you refuse to come to me. So the word of God is not just something that we study to kind of get some more knowledge in our head, but it's meant to be an invitation to encounter the Lord. So everything up to now is just a precursor. You're like, but Zach, that was amazing. I, I'm, I'm so inspired by life of hope. I know, but there's more, right? God has more for us. So after I've studied for a little while, and sometimes I get through just the R in one day, and maybe the next day I'll pick up with the E. But after I've studied a little while, we go to encounter the Lord. How do we encounter the Lord in the scripture? If you can put that first Peter one back up there, there are many ways to do this, but one that Christina and I love to do is to take time just to read through this and to note what word or phrase seems like it's being highlighted to you. If you read over scripture for a lifetime, 
you'll come back to the same verse. You'll have so many times you'll be like, I never noticed this before. And this never stuck out that way before. Anybody ever had that experience, right? That's because the Holy Spirit is highlighting something to you, a place that he wants to feed you that day, wants to give you your daily bread. So as we read through this, I want you to think about, and I want you to consider what part of this is being highlighted to you today. The whole passage is good, but the Holy Spirit has something specific for you and for me as we read it today. I'm gonna give you a second to look it over, and then I'll tell you what mine was. All right, maybe there's a word or a phrase that's sticking out to you that just kind of, wow, that grabs my attention today. When I read through this this week, the phrase that stuck out to me was, in his great mercy. In his great mercy. And so I just took time just to think and to savor that one phrase, in God's great mercy. And I'll tell you some things that I wrote down in my journal on this. I wrote down, this is just kind of what I, I since highlighted to me, that I'm a person who in my life has needed great mercy. And I'm a person who currently needs great mercy. And this is one trait that you don't become aware of until you actually need it and until you actually experience it from someone else. And that I have experienced the great mercy of God that my life story is one of experiencing God's great mercy. This, for me, destroys any lie that God is a harsh taskmaster or a fickle force, for he has dealt with me in great mercy. This points me to the cross as the defining act through which I understand God, that on the cross, I have experienced, I'm starting to get emotional, guys. I have, started, I have experienced God's great mercy. Lastly, mercy is not mercy apart from the reality of sin. If I eliminate sin from my vocabulary or worldview, I eliminate my need for mercy. And instead of coming to know God, I come to know a watered-down, poor-quality imitation. But in the midst of my sin, I am someone who has received great mercy. Man, you started to get your soul fed, right? So our mind, whew, okay, I'm learning some stuff. I'm getting touched by the Lord. I'm getting touched by the Spirit. And not every day is like that. Not every time is like that. But I, I definitely, this week, man, I was just feeding on this. So you just look for that little highlighted phrase. And guess what? If I came back in six months to this same passage, most likely there's gonna be a different word or a different phrase that's highlighted. That's the beauty of Scripture, right? Some books we read one time and we're like, okay, I read that. I read Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey back in you know, high school. Check it off the list. The Bible is not like that. And sometimes I have people say to me, hey, I read the Bible. I'm kind of ready to move on. No, no, no. This is meditative literature. This is, these are words that you give a lifetime to and you never exhaust the depths of. This is a meal that will feed us for decades and decades. This is the word of God, right? So we just come back to it and the Holy Spirit's gonna highlight something different to you. And some days they're fireworks. And some days you're like, I just showed up today. Whatever that is, that's fine. But we're setting out on a life trajectory of being fed by the word of God. So if we can go back to the acronym. We've got the B, we've got the R, we've got the E. Now we need A. 
What does that spell? Bread. Almost there. I should have been a cheerleader, huh? Okay. Apply intentionally. This is so important. James tells us that if we read the word of God, but we don't do anything with it, that we deceive ourselves. It's like we look in a mirror and we walk away and we forget who we are. But as we come to the word of God, we see truth rightly. We see who God is. We see who we are. And as we walk away, we want to be people who, like Jesus said, build our lives on his teaching. So I want to be thoughtful and intentional about how do I apply the word of God to my life? So this passage, as we look at it right at the beginning in 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So immediate application that I can walk away with is I need to spend some time praising the Lord for his great mercy. I need to spend some time praising the Lord for this inheritance that I've been given that is, will not perish, will not spoil, will not fade, right? I'm going to praise him. Different passages, different application points. The one here is clear that we want to praise him. So in just a minute, we're going to spend time closing out the service by praising God for his great mercy. And we're going to praise God for the inheritance that we've been given. Now, this takes our response. You can't sit back on an application. You have to be intentional about, I'm going to do something with this. So we're going to do something with this here in just a moment. And then D, the last letter of bread, is to delight throughout the day. I love this. God's word is not a heavy burden to us. This is not something to just check off a list. Okay, did that. No, this is something that we carry with us as a source of delight throughout the day. So as I'm going throughout the day, I try and take various times where I'll think back or I might share with someone, hey, here's what I'm getting out of God's word. I'll try and remember what I read, but I want to carry it forward with delight. The scriptures promise that as we as a people or those who delight in God's word, who meditate on it day and night, that we will be like trees planted beside streams of living water that we will have leaves that bear fruit. We will not wither or fade, but we will be fruitful in the Lord as a people who delight in God's word. So we want to carry it forward with joy. So as you leave today, we're not going forward with heavy faces. We're not going forward with, oh, what a burden. No, we're going forward with joy in the Lord, a place to delight in his word. So B-R-E-A-D. Now, let's be clear. You may not get through all five of these in any given day. That's okay. Right? This is meditative literature. Different than other books where you're like, I got to keep reading to finish the book. No, if you spend a month on one passage of scripture, but you really draw strength from that, praise God, you've been fed, right? That's what we're doing is we're trying to draw strength from the Lord. The Lord wants to feed us there. So go at the pace that seems good to you. But I challenge you, if you will take time this week to do bread with scripture, I challenge you to see if you're not stirred, built up, strengthened in your inner man as Mueller testified, if you're not living more intentionally in the way of Jesus, like we saw in Jesus' life. And this will be a place where the Lord wants to encounter us. So your challenge this week is to take time, block out time this week to get in God's word and to do bread with a passage of scripture. If you don't know what to do, do 1 Peter 1, 3. Just take that all week long, okay? We want to eat our daily bread from the Lord through his word. I want to invite you to stand because we're going to praise together as our way of applying this.
So as the worship team comes up here and we get ready to respond again, we're just putting into practice what I want to encourage you to do each day this week is look for a way that you can apply God's word intentionally. Eli, you mind coming and getting this, buddy? All right, I'm going to pray for us and the worship team is going to lead us and we're just going to praise the Lord together. Hold on, buddy. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There we go. Thank you, sir. You did good. That top will come off too, so... Good job, buddy. Jesus, thank you that uh, in Christ that we've been born again to a living hope, that we're a people of hope. Thank you that we've been born again to a life of love. Thank you that we've been born again to a life of righteousness. Lord, thank you that you've given us an inheritance, whether our parents gave us an inheritance or not, whatever family we're from, that in you, God, that we have an inheritance is inheritance that will not perish, Lord. It can't be taken over by natural forces, Lord. It can't be taken over even by the enemy's forces, Lord, that you have an inheritance for us that will not perish, that will not spoil, that will not fade, Lord. Thank you that every single one of us, that we are recipients of your great mercy, Lord. God, that the story of our lives is not a story of achievement or a story of failure. It's not a story of what we accomplish in our jobs or what we do in school. Lord, it is a story of your mercy, that we are a people defined by the great mercy of God. Thank you for feeding us from your word today, Lord. We give you praise, not to an abstract God, but we give praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has shown us mercy, the one who has gone to the cross on our behalf, Lord. We come today as your people and we give you praise because you have been so good to us, Lord. Thank you. As the worship team leads us, I just want to invite you to respond. Let's enter in and let's praise the Lord together.